You're listening to the Scottish Football Monitor podcast. Please visit us at www.tsfm.net where you can participate in our discussion and have access to tons of extra material. You can also subscribe to this podcast there or just search for TSFM on the iTunes store. Turnbull Hutton is the chairman of Wraith Rovers. He has been lauded by TSFM readers as a man of courage and integrity, who shares our views about the game and who has never shipped away from calling out those who don't. But what motivates the man? What motivated him to take on the largely thankless task of devoting himself to his local team? What are his plans for Wraith Rovers? What are his views on the SFA, on league reconstruction and Armageddon? I spoke to Turnbull at his home where I was welcomed with coffee, biscuits, chat and a lesson in the dynamics of running a championship club from leading a debt-ridden Rovers to a profit last year to the dilemmas inherent in boardroom redecoration. Turnbull Hutton, uh, thanks very much for agreeing to, to speak to the Scottish Football Monitor. Tell us about Wraith Rovers and, uh, and the challenges of uh, keeping a club like Wraith Rovers afloat. Well, strangely enough, it's probably easier to keep it afloat under the new setup than it than it was under the old setup because there's there's more money coming down to championship clubs. Significant outs? Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. Plus the fact it comes down on set dates throughout the season. So that makes planning your cash flow a lot easier. So the good thing that, that's happened out of all the chaos of the last two years is that the the championship clubs have got a far better deal uh, as a consequence of the the leagues coming together. Mm -hmm. So it's always a challenge to keep a a championship club going. A club like Wraith Rovers, we don't have a huge support. Town's been pretty much hit by uh, the recession. We always get complaints that our prices are too high and our team's you know, we should invest more in the team, but the two act against each other. So if there was an Olympic event for cash flow management, I would have thought that the, the board at Wraith Rovers would be pretty much in there. To the extent that even this year, I mean, we we actually made a profit last year. It's probably the first profit for uh, 20 or 30 years. We should have had an open-top bus around Kirkcaldy as a consequence of that. That was probably a greater achievement than the, the Ramsden's Cup. And they should be erecting statues to us. But uh, even this, even on the back of a profit last year and the money coming in from the new championship or the new SPFL, October, November, the way the, the fixtures happened... And the way the bills happened, we were we were short. I mean, we, we we can go to a board meeting and find that we're sixty grand short, and we've no banking facilities. Um, you know, we've got a, a business with a million pound turnover. It's a small business, but banks won't help you. So, you know, we bank. We put our money in the bank and we write checks, but with no flexibility at all to smooth out cash flows. So if you get a cancellation or you get one home fixture in the month or you've had a great month the month before and you've got bonuses to pay, you're suddenly 60, 70, 80 grand short. And the only place that can come from is the directors. So you can have kind of painful and costly board meetings. Now, uh, once you put money in, 
it either stays there as a short-term loan until the cash flow is positive, it's maybe two months, three months down the track, and then we dribble that back. Or if events conspire to, or where you can't get that money back, that becomes long-term loans. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they get kind of kicked down the park. So directors at Kirkcaldy have got long-term loan certificates and we've got uh, short-term loans that are that are noted in a, a wee notebook. And the, the idea is to pay the short-term ones back in the course of the season. And all we need is, is somebody to come through our youth academy and be a million pound player and we've got a chance to get the, the long-term loans back. That's kind of how it works. Is it, is it worth it? Financially, it's not worth it. No. <laughs> I mean, for the, for the rewards of being, uh, you know, the, the chairman, no, I mean, as you are, uh, you're, uh, the club that you're supporting. You, no, you, don't, you don't enter it with a view to, or any expectation of, of, of kind of how it is. You kind of slip into it. I mean, you, you buy... I bought 5,000 shares, I think, from from my bonus when I was working, the year that we won the Coca-Cola Cup, 20 years ago. Against Celtic? Against Celtic. And Jimmy Nichols signed the share certificate. And, and yeah, I thought, that's quite good, you know, got a share of this. And then you kind of get, you know, sucked in, you buy a wee bit more shares and there's a change of ownership and you get kind of sucked into that and, and suddenly you're kind of in there. And it... It's not a question of putting in a huge lump of money to start with. You're putting in dribs and drabs. And it's only after several years that you find that your dribs and drabs are, are kind of significant. And it, it kind of becomes a labour of love. Oh, although I don't know, the, 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 after, a, after a bad Saturday, there's not a lot of love <laughs> around. The thing that you, you can't do is you can't... You couldn't let the club keel over under your watch. I mean, that would be the, the kind of... I don't live in Kirkcaldy now. I mean, it used to, but I don't live in Kirkcaldy now. So the chances of me getting my windows put in are less <laughs> than the chance of the guys who are in Kirkcaldy getting their windows put in. So you have to kind of keep it going. Well, were you at Ibrox that day? That, uh, I was. You, I, you yeah, and did, yeah. did you go to, to Munich? I was in Munich. I was in the Faroe Islands. I was in Iceland. Uh I had my, my son and I went to the Faroes uh, and daughter and son and I went to Iceland and uh, Munich. Munich was, I mean, it, it was brief, but it, it was, it must have been amazing. Oh, it was tremendous. I, um, I was sitting, I was, I was fortunate enough to, to be asked along with the, the Wraith plane or the, the Wraith directors at the time. And we, I was sitting beside Johnny Urquhart, who's ex-player and was life president and he was a director and so on and he was a super old gent Johnny and we were sitting in the the stand uh, in the Olympic Stadium and uh, we'd scored and you know sitting across the aisle was Beckenbauer and you know and I mean it was a phenomenal stadium and night and what have you and Johnny was sitting and he said uh, looked up at the scoreboard at half time and he went can you believe this he said, I just can't believe... Now, Johnny was in his 70s at that point. I can't believe this. And Beckenbauer had a kind of long face. And if that first half had gone on another five minutes, you know, 
we might have got we might have sneaked a second. But uh, ah, it was memorable. It was good fun. You know. The thing is that obviously there are highs and lows, you know, for any oh, club. But um, I, I've asked, I think, everybody that I've done an interview with. I mean, what what is Wraith Rovers for? What, what's what's the aim? It surely isn't just to keep it alive, is it? It's, you know, there's something more than that. No, I mean, the club's been around for 130-odd years. It's, it had a, a glorious time in the, in the 50s with the young McNaughton Lee half-back line and they were the, probably the third-best team in Scotland at that time. Crowds for Kirkcaldy were phenomenal at that time. You know, there's a proud history with the club and there's a, a loyal core of supporters... And it means something to us. Now, we, we have realistic expectations. We're not going to throw money at, at, at things to buy success because if we throw money, it's our money. Ultimately, it's our money. So we are careful from that point of view. So we, 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 we attempt to balance the books and we know that if we don't balance the books, it's going to cost us because nobody else is going to come in and bail us out and we, we haven't got a bank overdraft to add to. So... We see ourselves, in the grand scheme of things, we see ourselves as a, a a championship club most seasons. And we accept that maybe once every 10, 15 years we'll have a bad season and, and go down a league. And you kind of regroup and try and get back. Yeah. Maybe once every 20 years we'll, 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 we'll get a team that... Uh, suddenly is challenging at the top. We had that with Jimmy Nicholl, uh, where we won the league twice. We only lasted one season the first time. But uh, the way Scottish football is just now, the, the, there's not a lot in the, the the normal teams that make up the championship. Next year's going to be a, a different ball game. I mean, the championship could be the elite to follow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, certainly in terms of competition, ah, yeah. it, it, it may well be. What was it leading to, I suppose, with, with, with this, was that Raythor was very much a community club. I mean, you're, you're one club town, a bit like Dunfermline, um, who are your, your great rivals as well. But I look at what happened when Dunfermline were in trouble, for instance, and how the people of the town rallied around them. I look at, I remember when Airdrie uh, went out of business a few years back, and and how the, uh, it wasn't for the one to try any of the people in Airdrie, the local people, you know, really rallied yeah. around the club because they were they were perceived yeah. as, as a community resource almost. Yeah. Is that what Wraith Rovers wants to be, or do they want to be more than that? Is, is, is the reason for the importance of the club because of the geographical area you're in and that, you know, there, I mean, there's a, there, there's a rich history, Scottish history in this yeah. part of the world? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm never all that sure what the, the kind of community club concept. There are various definitions of a community club. The club's important to the town and the, the town, if the club are doing well, the town will benefit. If the club are doing badly, nobody wants to know us and it's, it's kind of up to us then to, to try and make it better. And we've got a whole raft of supporters that, that will talk about we're not a community club because, you know, we don't have line dancing on a Wednesday night at Stars <laughs> Park. It's important for the town. It's it's we've had a, a football club there for a long, long time. We have good years and bad years and you want to keep it going. And when when the chips are down, I mean there was a the Great Anelka debacle happened. I was going uh, to ask you about that actually. Yeah, uh, well, it happened and the board kind of fell out because there was a a variance of views as to whether this was good or bad. And the consequence was that the, the board, who'd done a lot for the club, 
there was a kind of parting of the ways. And you were one of the people who parted, yeah. I well, I I resigned at the time, and I mean, what money I had was still in the club, and we were still we were still speaking to each other, although there was there was a difference of opinion. And at that point, the the community, the Rover support, galvanised themselves yeah. into fundraising and so on, and they got the kind of reclaim the Rovers thing going, and Gordon Brown got involved, and there was promises of finance and there was people put money into new wraith rovers to buy out what was there but they there were promises of finance that never actually materialized uh when it came to uh checks being handed over pledges were not necessarily honored the way it worked i mean it was it was a an ealing comedy frankly we had players arriving from Edinburgh Airport and taxis and uh, pay this taxi and what have you. Never heard of the players. They then needed accommodation. We had, I'm on record as seeing, we had more houses in the Scottish Special Housing Association (laughs) in Kirkcaldy. They then, uh, we we had three living in the West that came through by minibus. We, We had Czechoslovakians, we had French... We had Sean Dennis doing his best to uphold Scottish traditions. And Elka had ideas about the team dining together twice a week. So we had a caterer in doing pasta and fruit and what have you. And he asked me to the first one. I was I was still the chairman then. I went up and in the Wraith suite there was maybe about four or five tables. There was a table with two Czechoslovakians. There was a table with couple of Frenchmen, there was a table with some Englishmen and there was a modicum of Scots, you know, Sean Dennis. So they Dennis were all kind of like themselves? They were all, well, that, that was the point. I mean, it, it, as a as a team building exercise, it, it probably left a bit to be desired, yeah. frankly, you know. And then we got the bill for the pasta and the fruit and whatnot and decided <laughs> we couldn't afford that either, you know. So. <laughs> and then... It must have been a hard job picking up the pieces after he left, though. Oh, I mean, it probably set the club back about five years. Yeah. Um, and it was only the only way that, that we started to address that. It was obvious that, you know, there was nothing magical going to happen. We weren't going to be able to sell a player. We weren't going to be able to rely on some magical increase in crowds. The board took a, a, a view that said, look, the only the only budget that we haven't cut, we've cut back all the overheads, we've, we've you know, we've done as much cutting as we can on the costs in the club. The only thing we haven't done is cut back the playing budget. So we're going to have to cut back the playing budget. And the consequences of that are that, you know, you might get relegated. But we're going to have to do it to try and start and knock off some of this debt. And that's what happened. John McGlynn was the manager and uh, he kind of understood the situation. John was very good, as is Grant Murray, in kind of understanding how it works. So there's never any doubt that a Rovers manager is a probably a master in economics as well. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that because that's the thing that there has to be a good relationship, obviously, between a chairman or a chief executive or whoever right. holds a preeminent position of authority at a club and the manager. And, and there's, the managers always want more, obviously. Oh, I, I, I mean, you can understand that. But the, John McGlynn was fully aware of the issues that we, we as a board had. And even the, the, the last year uh, that John was there, John took a salary cut as, as part of his contribution to that. 
I mean, that spoke volumes about John, and kind of understood he went to a mix of full-time and part-time, which was what we had to do. And we started to begin to kind of chip away at the debt. And then, you know, then you strike lucky. We got uh, we got a draw against Celtic at uh, Parkhead in the in the League Cup. And uh, 14,000, 15,000 at uh, Celtic Park. We gave a reasonable account of ourselves. But we, we were well treated, well looked after, came away with our cheque and thought, well, that's a bonus because you don't plan for cup income in your budgets, you see. So, we, you know, we were quite pleased with that. And then, of course, we began to get greedy and we got drawn against Celtic at Kirkcaldy in the, the Scottish Cup. And we began to believe that there, there was indeed a God and he was shining on us. And then he, then he went for the kind of triple and he, he, he said it's going to be on television. And suddenly you're into untold wealth for a wee club, a live TV match. It was the first live TV match involving Wraith Rovers at Starts Park that we'd ever had. Yeah. Forfar had had live matches and Berwick had had live matches, but no Wraith Rovers. And suddenly there was TV cameras there and gantries and studios and things, and we were really in the big time, you know. Yeah. And the thing that worries you at that point is you get you get a, a big club coming and starts bar and then it's going to be on television, and you start to look around at the paintwork and the the lobby going up to the dressing rooms and you look at the boardroom and you think blimey, this is embarrassing our boardroom hadn't been painted for 30 years probably uh, I think the carpet had been changed but the, the horrible blue wallpaper and there was there was bubbles where the darkness had kind of come in and we looked around and thought, you know, we'd been in the, the, the dark room at Celtic and everything was just kind of magnificent and you think you know we're actually you know reciprocating hospitality here so there was a a, a hurried board meeting and we decided that we, we really had to do something about the boardroom and we had wood panelling at the bottom but we we left the wood panelling and we did the 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 paintwork light paintwork to call the paper off and whatever and it really looked quite good uh, that was phase one of the boardroom and this year we did phase two, which was painting the, the dark panelling at the bottom. So we've transformed our boardroom on the basis of one cup tie. And of course, we, we had progress this year with another TV game this year. So, you know, it's I mean, it's remarkable probably for anybody that, that, you know, thinks about Scottish football. It took 30 years for Wraith Rovers to paint their boardroom. And it was dependent on a good cup draw. You know, that, that's the reality. You are listening to the Scottish Football Monitor podcast. Please visit us at www.tsfm.net where you can participate in our discussion and have access to tons of extra material. You can also subscribe to this podcast there or just search for TSFM on the iTunes store. Talking about the draw, I mean, you obviously you won the Ramsey Cup, and and, uh, and you obviously want to talk about that as well because it was a great day for uh, for everybody associated with your club. But the the fact that Rangers were in, were in that competition, the mm-hmm. fact that they got to the final, added that oh, extra dimension yeah, to yeah. it. I mean, the Ramsey's Cup. We had a civic reception in Kirkcaldy on on Monday night, which was 
which was good of the council and, uh, you know, Gordon Brown was there and Jim Leishman was there and so the players were all there and it was, you know, good of them to do that. And it's the it's the recognition that the, the club have done something for the town. And you think, well, where were they when we were really struggling? You know, so, it, it, but you have to you have to get the fact that if, if you've got a wee modicum of success, people are going to kind of latch on to that. And that's fine, I can understand that. But... I had to kind of respond and we got a presentation from the council, nice glass bowl and what have you. And I had to respond on, on behalf of the club. And I was making the point that in previous years, had we won the Ramsons Cup, it would be unlikely that we would have been afforded a civic reception. And whilst I'd always wanted to, to win the Ramsons Cup, because I was involved in the Bell's sponsorship of it way back when I, when I had to work for a living, I made the point that, that, you know, I personally wanted to win it and it was important for me to get Wraith Rover's name on that cup to join the greats of Scottish football, Alwa, Stennis, Muir and Stranraer being three teams that, whose name was, was on it, you know. And, I mean, what made it this year was the fact that Rangers were there and nobody could have envisaged a... Uh, the Rams of the Challenge Cup being contested by by Rangers and for Wraith Rovers and Rangers in a final Easter Road, a sellout and what have you. I mean, it took the Ramsons Cup from where it had been with a, maybe a maximum... I, I think one year Hamilton got a 15,000 crowd against, might have been Falkirk, something like that. So they'd had a 15,000 crowd. We were playing at 20,000 Easter Road if there had been no Commonwealth Games, it could have been a far bigger crowd at a, another location. But, I mean, it was a great day out and, uh, you know, we were given no chance and, you know, it was pleasing to, to do that. I mean, these things, these these great days only happen infrequently for a small club. If you look at our last three or four great days, one was Easter Road, one was winning a cup replay up at Aberdeen, winning the, the, the next round at Dundee and getting to the the semi. And, you know, we did nothing in the semi, really. But uh, you have these odd days and it's not success as, as big clubs would, would see success. It's memorable from a, a small club's yeah. perspective. And always in the, always in the, the, the background is the, the thought that says, this is a payday that wasn't budgeted for and we can do this or that or the next thing without money. It also underlines a wee bit, I suppose, for what you're saying and, and your reaction to that success, that there's really two worlds in Scottish football, oh, isn't there? Yeah, you know, yeah, there yeah. There's the world of, of a team like Celtic or Rangers mm-hmm. uh, who expect to be winning things mm-hmm. all the time. And then there's the, the probably the world of the rest. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that changed Scottish football was the, the SPL. When the SPL was kind of set up... Wraith were, were one of the... Wraith found themselves having the casting vote in that, the formation of the SPL, where the director who went to the meeting with the vote, he had an instruction from the, the board at that time, it was way before my time, to vote against the, the SPL, because the way it was going to be, we were going to get relegated. We were only up there fleetingly, you know, to say hello before we said goodbye and departed again. And the board had said that they were against it. And I think it, there was a kind of fairly even split. But whether he was persuaded by 
what went on at the meeting or whether he got confused and voted the wrong way. I don't think anybody really knows. But anyway, we, we voted for it. That's an interesting historical tip, you would have been a misunderstanding. Well, I, you know, I don't know what the, all the, the ins and outs were, but I know that the... the who, chi- who is that guy we need to know? No, no, I'll, 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 I'll avoid his, his blushes. He's still around. Um, and the chairman at that time was a, a nice old guy called Peter Campsey. And Peter kind of took it stoically and said that, you know, this guy had decided to vote that way, yeah. you know, so be it, and what have you. We didn't make a great song and dance about it, but there's there's a an apocryphal tale that says that somebody in the the, the new SPL had said that they would they would always remember Wraith Rovers being instrumental in doing this and would, Wraith Rovers would be looked after as a consequence and whatnot. But... Um, How did that work out? Uh, well, we're still waiting, we're still loving hope. <laughs> uh, I mean, the other great story at that time was, remember when they, when they set up the SPL and it was there was a story that Lex Gold was kind of David Murray's mouthpiece. It was a kind of Ray Allen Lord Charles arrangement where... David Murray thought it and Lex Gold said it and what have you. The story that time, I remember Peter Donald telling me that the SPL had kind of broken away and there was, was it 10 or 12 initially? I can't remember. But the story was that, that once they had sorted out to their own benefit the, the, the TV money and sponsorship money and everything else, that that was merely the start that they would send a boat back to pick up the odd club and row back to Valhalla or wherever so that we could all eventually prosper. Yeah. Now, I think the boat got sunk somewhere post-Roger Mitchell. And it, the SPL then seemed to kind of... The only person that, from a small club's perspective, that seemed to be able to nail what the SPL was about at that time was Bill Leckie who consistently wrote in the papers at that time about greed is good, what about the small clubs? And he was a lone voice, in a way, because the the mainstream press were agog with this brave new world, the SPL. They looked at the English Premiership, they looked at the TV money, they looked at this, and it was going to be, that's how it was going to be. And that changed it perceptions in Scottish football. The other thing that killed Scottish football, frankly, was the Bosman ruling. The chances of, of a club like Wraith Rover selling a player is about nil. If you're going to sell a player, you have to have them under contract. We'll not put a player in a, under a five-year contract or whatever. I mean, we, we don't know where we'll be next year at this time. So a year's contract is a kind of norm for a, a club like ours. So if we if we strike gold and have a good player that people fancy, they hang about and wait until his contract's up, or six months before his contract's up. We've, we've had that twice in the last couple of seasons, three times probably. We had Brian Graham, went to Dundee United, John Baird, who went to Dundee, Ian Davidson went to Dundee. So we know that our, our best players are going to get picked up for nothing. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, the possibility of, of us getting a, a transfer only comes about if you've got a a young guy that you've had from 12 or something that comes through and breaks into the first team yeah. and is still under a contract. And uh, you'll get compensation. You'll get compensation, but 
you know, we live in hope that we can sell a player. The last player we sold for cash was John Sutton, and we, we got 50 grand for him, you know, and that was a veritable fortune. What's the, uh, the the amount of money that you can that you can make out of a, a TV game like the the Ramsden Cup final? Because obviously the Ram- it's not dependent on Rangers <coughs> yeah. being there because yeah. it's a fixed fee. The Ramsden's not huge money. The Ramsden's is about a thirtieth of what you get from a Sky or a BBC game. Really? Yeah. The two traditional ways that I can see, correct me if I'm wrong, the two traditionally obvious ways that you could have a better sharing of money within football are gate sharing, mm. which is a kind of controversial subject in, yeah. in, in the Scottish football world. And the second thing is bigger leagues. I know that there are people still around in, in football who say that the only way to make it fair is gate sharing, but I, n- gate sharing will never happen. If I was, If I was Rangers or Celtic with the kind of crowds they have, why would I want to give away half the half the money? So I I just don't see that as a a goer at all. I mean that that's that's. But is that from a pragmatic point of view, or from an idealistic point <coughs> of view? Because you've been quoted in the past to say, why don't Rangers and Celtic just play each other every week? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if 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 the if the importance of if the only games that matter in Scotland are Rangers playing Celtic, well, go away and play each other every week. The, the, there was talk after Rangers kind of imploded about Walter Smith said something about the, the importance of Rangers in Scottish football. That was often quoted. Now, the rest of us in Scottish football, we knew damn fine that, that if the English Premiership or even the English Championship had come up and knocked on Rangers and Celtic's door and said, what about coming down, guys? They'd have been off. And nobody would give a toss about Scottish football. The rest of us would have got on with it. So, you know, it was it, suddenly it was important for Scottish football. It's people say it's important that Rangers are back in the the, the top flight, and it's important to play Celtic. And you hear players getting trotted out saying all this, pundits, the media guys, the newspapers, how important it is because Rangers will provide opposition to Celtic. Now, if you're Wraith Rovers or St Mirren or Dunfermline or whatever, it makes not a damn bit of difference whether there are two teams competing for the championship or one team is infinitely better and running away with it. It doesn't make any difference to the rest of us. So there's a kind of flawed thinking that says, whether it's west of Scotland, that says it's really important that we have a big Rangers and a big Celtic so that we can kick lumps out of each other and, and we'll both feel good about that. And the rest of us kind of, you know, we'll just carry on yeah. playing croquet or whatever. You know, we don't matter. But all the Scottish football matters because there's you need, you need opposition. And it's a game. It's a spectacle. And what odds did Wraith Rovers have to win the Ramsons Cup against Rangers? Looking at the, the budgets... The players that, that that they had against what we have, their their playing budget 25, 20 to twenty five times what ours is. Yeah. The manager must have fancied it a wee bit though, because I mean they, they have displayed some frailties. Perhaps it, it's uh, it's the thoroughbreds playing in a in a clean. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I use that term well, ironically, incidentally. I've got a theory. It's uh, from past experience that I know that that when. When we've gone down to the old second division, you go down as the kind of favourites to come back up. 
And the last time we, we ventured down there, we were down there for four or five seasons. And we got to playoffs and what have you, but we never actually got over the line. Yeah. And the reason being that when we went down there, we were seen as a big club. You know, they were in the, the first division last year. Big game, they, they have our travelling support. Our crowds are up when Wraith Rovers come. If you're going to Forfar or Brechin or wherever, right? And they all played out their skins. They hustled us and we never got time on the ball and whatnot. Eventually you get back to the first division or the championship as it now is. And they tend to play differently. There's a wee bit more time and, and they're trying to do different things. We get a real shock whenever, if there's a cup draw comes along and it's, you're going to play forfar at forfar or breaking at breaking, you think, God, that's going to be a real tough one because they're going to be in your face. And that's, to an extent, that's what's happened to Rangers. All these teams that they're playing, these guys have got a lift. They're playing Rangers, there's a big crowd there and they're, they're doing twice what they normally do. Yeah. And they're in there and, and they don't have the time on the ball. My worry when we played Rangers was that they had obviously better players and the way we play, we were going to give, they were going to get possibly more time to yeah, play football yeah, because, the, because they were playing a, a, a team from a higher division. Yeah. And my worry was, you go into these things saying, yeah, I really don't want a hammer in here. You know, I, can, I could take it and beat, but I certainly don't want a hammering. And you get to half time and you think, oh, that's not bad, it's still nil-nil. And we showed them too much respect. And the second half, you you know, play better. And there was a few moves and whatnot. They had chances, we had chances. Not a lot in it. And you get to full time, you think, well, that's all right. You know, even if we get beat now, it's it's respectable, you know. And we can get the usual headlines, plucky Wraith Rovers. You realise you're describing a Celtic fan at Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> we're all like that. We're all like that in different ways. And then it gets to, the, you know, half time and extra time and you think, well, penalties. You know, the, the, the kind of normal excuse of penalties, well, it's a lottery. We matched them 120 minutes, but just a lottery. And you're, you're beginning to kind of get through that one. And then we score. And, you think, and you know, it's a Ramson's Cup. It's not going to change the world. But the achievement or the sense of achievement in doing that, phenomenal, you know. And the, the hairs in the back of the neck rise. And, and it could have been the European Cup. You know, as far as Rovers fans were concerned that day, it could have been the European Cup. It was, you know, another, a trophy. And it was another episode in Armageddon as well. That This gloom and doom that, oh, uh, that had been foretold yeah, by Stuart Reagan yeah. and, and, and people like that. In actual fact, I mean, you look at uh, clubs like St. Johnson, who have been in Europe yeah. for a couple of yeah. years. That You know, they, they're now in a Scottish Cup final for the first time in their history. Trophies being shared around and mm -hmm. things like that. And certainly in the face of it, to an outsider, you would think, well, that's quite a competitive place, Scottish football. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Celtic are in a, a league by their own, on their own. And you know, I, that doesn't really bother me because if you look around the leagues in Europe, there's, there's normally one or two teams who are dominant. And they are the teams in the in the the big conurbations. Yeah, yeah. And you look at you know Barcelona and Real Madrid. Okay, there's other teams that are you know that occasionally come up and, and do a challenge. But so what if there's one team that's good enough and has got the support and can afford the the players that or to attract the right players, and they have a game plan that says 
Europe's part of our ongoing budget process and what have you. Fine. What's the, what's the issue in that? I don't. I don't have a problem with that. The the Armageddon thing. I think that that if you look back on it now, that it, it was a major shock that one of the big two had hit the buffers and the authorities. I don't buy conspiracies or ineptitude or anything else. The authorities were desperately trying to get a solution, recognising the seriousness of that situation. And with the benefit of hindsight, there were some odd decisions that if you look back or if you if you could do it all again, you might have you might have done it differently. But hindsight's a wonderful thing, you're never wrong. And I don't buy I don't buy conspiracies if there were mistakes made, there were there were kind of genuine mistakes, and people said there was, there was a real fear at, at the SFA that Rangers going out of business is is going to cause the death of Scottish football. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think they, they genuinely thought. I think, that was yeah, going to yeah, because I, I don't think anybody could get their mind around the fact that that an ins, an institution like Rangers, as big as Rangers, could uh, could do a Gretna or do a Livingston, yeah. or do a Dundee, or whatever. And that takes a bit of kind of getting your mind round. And, you know, the, it was kind of administration. Well, you know, administration of all these other clubs have been in administration, but then it's kind of liquidation. And, you know, how do, we, how do we get over this? This is a money spinner in Scottish football, one of the, the, the two that attract the, the TV companies and so on and so on. And what's the knock-on effect going to be? Now, it was difficult for anybody to kind of envisage that or imagine what it was going to be like. But facts are facts, and, and you had to get on with it. And getting the leagues back under one body was a, a benefit that accrued from that. It was a kind of catalyst, and, and we moved on from there. Probably the, the, the power there, is it, is it still too top-heavy, or, or are you satisfied with the way that's worked out? No, I think the, the uh, I mean, my unfortunate quote about the SPL being a dead parrot, in a way it was a dead parrot. And I think that the, the SPFL and the reallocation of the money and the recognition that, the, the big difference I think is that there was a recognition that said for the top league to prosper, we need a second tier that's viable and we won't close the, the difference in class overnight, but if we can maintain full-time football in the second league, then we shouldn't be worried about clubs from the, the Premiership coming down as a consequence of a bad season with a proper parachute payment and going into a full-time league with a chance that they can go back up. And we shouldn't be worried about movement from... The, the Premiership to the Championship. Now that's not going to happen overnight, but there's been there's been a lot of progress made on that, and I'm not I'm optimistic with kind of where we are. I mean, I know the Rangers thing for Rangers fans is a, a, a disaster. It's possibly a good thing. History will show it'll be a good thing, in as much as they have gone to the the bottom tier and they're working their way through. Therefore, every club has benefited in some way, either from the, the crowds that Rangers bring or the experience of 
wee clubs going to Ibrox and, and seeing what it's like to play in a stadium like that. The whole thing, as I say, it, it, a disaster as far as Rangers are concerned, but 10 years from now or 20 years from now, they'll see it as something that, that, that helped Scottish football get reorganised. And Scottish football, you, you can't run a, a, any kind of uh, business or sport if you're just running up debt because it's going to bite you. And I'm sure that, that the English Premier, the much lauded English Premiership, it's going to hit the buffers at some point because if you're paying 90 odd or 110% of your turnover in wages because you have an Arab sheikh or a Russian oligarch throwing money at it, that's not sustainable. All it takes is the, 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 the situation with Russia and the Ukraine and sanctions and what have you and the Chelsea guys' funds are, are, are frozen and Chelsea are run out of money. What happens? And if they go, it'll go down like a pack of cards. So, in a way, Scottish football, arguably, is ahead of the game here. And there's a realisation now that says, we're going to have to balance the books. And clubs who hitherto maybe went along with uh, some of the, the need to spend to remain competitive as they saw it, They've had to take a, a, a hard look at that and, and go for youth, take a chance on youth, cut their budgets and see what's happened. And it, it's not been a bad thing. You're listening to the Scottish Football Monitor podcast. Please visit us at www.tsfm.net where you can participate in our discussion and have access to tons of extra material. You can also subscribe to this podcast there or just search for TSFM on the iTunes store. David Murray took over Rangers in the, in the 80s. I suppose he didn't actually initiate the, the big spending. That happened no, at home before no. him, didn't it? Or shortly before him. But Murray did take it to, to a whole new level. I defy anybody to say that they knew that that uh, that it was wrong at the time. I mean, may, may, maybe you'll you'll tell me I'm talking nonsense, but I think everybody bought into what David Murray was doing. Mm. I remember as a Celtic fan myself, that you know, looking on enviously, like, oh God, you know, mm. why why can't Celtic spend that kind of money? Of course, it's been proved to have been a, a sham. Mm. Now, you know, you know, after all these years, but but we did actually buy into it. A lot of clubs bought into it as well. Yeah, I mean, if you're a club like Wraith Rovers and you open the papers, uh, we know that in the <clears throat> the daily papers there's two pages to Rangers and two pages to Celtic and there'll be a page for the other Premier clubs and you know, there'll be a wee sub-paragraph that uh, a bird has landed at Stars Park. There was just an assumption, I think, from from smaller clubs who weren't involved in the the SPL that there were riches there, and oh, they were able to afford. Ah, they were able to afford players, and they did well as a as a consequence. And you saw, you know, the gas coins and loud drops and everything else. I don't think anybody gave a thought to, you know, the, the fact that that it was it was kind of built on sand. It was probably just an acceptance that they were able to afford to do that. Yeah. Nobody gave a second thought to it. And it's only, and even when, when clubs like that, 
who it's the old story if you've got a, a bank overdraft if you're due them kind of four grand or five grand they're chasing you if you're due them five million they're buying you coffee yeah. you know if you're due them you know 18 million pound in debt or something that's not a great sum for a, a club that's that's turning over the kind of revenues that they're turning over and you know I would have thought that if if I was turning over I don't know 100 million pound business or something and I had an overdraft and I had a good income stream week in week out I could I could make a big hole in that overdraft by uh, some judicious pruning of high earners and, and bringing through youth and, and build a story around that that I was building for the future and say to the support, you know, we're not going to necessarily prosper for the next two or three years because our strategy is we're going to bring through this, we're going to do that and make a hole in that overdraft. So having an overdraft, if you were lucky enough to have an overdraft, it's a question of managing the overdraft and I could, I'd find some chances at doing that, frankly. But when other things then conspire on the top of that and you, you kind of hit the wall, then a whole raft of things start to crumble on the back of that. And that, that's when it's it's difficult, if not impossible. What about oversight at the SFA? Was there anything that they could have done to stop what happened to Rangers, for instance, and, and its consequent effects? I don't know I'm necessarily qualified to answer that question because I, I've never been involved in the in the SFA side of thing, I've never been on any committee ever in the SFA or the SFL because I couldn't be bothered reading all the kind of papers and whatnot that you have to, to my attention span is now kind of diminishing as I get older so I can have opinions but the way that the thing is, is constructed the, the clubs vote for board members and the board members can be changed and there are there are league meetings and there's an SFA AGM and there's processes in place that, that you can put up whatever it is that's bothering you. So I don't have a great concern, frankly, about the the structure that's there or has been there. There was an attempt to get away from the blazer culture and whatnot that was kinda in place over the over the years. But I've known Ernie Walker, Jim Farry, George Pete. These were all kind of personable guys. And you know, I, I don't buy that there were, there were hidden agendas. If there was mistakes made, there were mistakes made and, and people suffered as a consequence. But I don't buy into kind of conspiracies and, and any of that stuff. And there was, George Pete was a guy that, that kind of brought in Henry McLeish and there was, there was a a report done and, and the possibility to, to kind of change the, the structure of the SFA. The clubs all voted for that. And then when change actually takes place, some clubs go, oh, I don't know if I like that. Now, you know, if, if you're in a change programme, there are going to be bits that you like and bits that you don't like. But let's remember, we're only kind of embarking on that journey. And I don't think necessarily we've got everything right. And I think mistakes have been made. But the chance is there now to, to, to amend and, and improve. And I don't think that the, the league structure, you touched earlier about should the leagues be, be bigger. I think they should be bigger. Uh, I don't buy the meaningless games because the, 
the meaningless games are the opportunities that are there to, to blood the youngsters and, and without any great pressure. I think that one of the things that's wrong with Scottish football is that there's a boredom factor. If you're playing each other four times, and you know, two years ago, three years ago, with all due respect to Airdrie, we arranged a pre-season friendly with Airdrie because they were in a different league and then there was some somebody got wiped out, was it Gretna or somebody, and Airdrie found themselves in the same league as we did. So we had four league matches against Airdrie. We drew them in the cup and we had a replay. Now, with the best will in the world, I don't really want to play Airdrie seven times. You can get too much of a good but, thing. But the, people, the top clubs are so dead against uh, bigger leagues. You know, I mean, to, to, you know, yeah. I, I do agree with you. I, I think it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of meaningless games in the SPL oh, or, yeah. or, the, or the Premiership, as it's called now. At, at any rate, um, I, I don't see how a bigger league could, could possibly make it worse. I, I would have thought it would have tended to help to equalise. Yeah. Well, I think I think that the, the fact that they've now embraced playoffs, we've got twelve in the in the SPL, yeah. and there's a playoffs there, and there's. There's money into the, the championship, which should make the championship stronger. The championship will be a hell of a division next season. I think the fact that the, if the gulf starts to kind of close, there will be a, it will be easier for clubs to move into the, the premiership, have an enlarged premiership. I think it, it, it wasn't necessarily going to work doing it the last round of league reconstruction but I thought there was quite a lot in some of the things that were thrown out I quite liked the idea of the sprint for the the championship and then the top four played the bottom four in you know the 888 setup I mean it got a lot of, it got panned and whatnot there was a lot in that Frankly, I think it confused people. I think that was part of, part of yeah, the. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily explained terribly well, and there was there was there was some vested interest kicked in, and there was all the sound. You know, my my season ticket holders want to know who it is I'm playing. You know, I mean, I didn't buy a lot of that. I thought there was opportunities in there, and I also thought there was opportunities. Well, that, well, that's, that's ironic when you you don't have gate sharing because yeah. you know because yeah. season ticket holders presumably only want to see the team. Who, who they're buying the season yeah. for you know it shouldn't matter no it shouldn't matter um, and there was also I thought that the, there was an opportunity to do uh, League 2 and League 3 put them together yeah. but there was a Rangers were only for that having won the one division they didn't want to kind of have to re-win it as they saw it I, I think if they hadn't been there I'm not at all convinced that the 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 normal clubs in these divisions wouldn't have bought having a bigger league, yeah. and it would have brought a freshness to it. I mean, you don't, you know, you you have your one chance at Kirkcaldy to see so and so, whereas at the moment, you know, the second game game comes along and you can hear the guy saying, "Oh, I'm not going to see them." You know, it was it was rubbish the last time. It's not going to be. Look where they are in the league. Yeah. You know, so I, but. I think you have to be optimistic that says, well, there has been change made. It's not the final product yet, and there's a chance to kind of go forward. The, the the great thing in Scottish football is that people tend to look back and argue the same things. You know, have have clubs spent money they didn't have to win titles? 
well, hindsight says, yeah, they have. But that's a Rangers and Celtic thing. I'm sure Hibs fans say Hearts won the cup with players they couldn't afford. Rovers fans will say that Fairman won the league because they brought players in in January and we were done out of that. And don't get St Johnson fans started. And St Johnson yeah. and Gretna is another, you know, so everybody, whether it's at the, the very top or through the leagues, have got a view that says uh, somebody gambled. It's, you know, it's a gambling game. Somebody gambled in the hope that something would happen and it hasn't. And if these gambles don't, don't come off, there's consequences. And the consequences can be Wraith Rovers post an Elka, it kind of set us back five years. It can be what happened at Rangers. It can be what happened at Gretna. Uh, it can be Dundee. You know, there are serial liquidators yeah. <laughs> in Scottish football. You were obviously at, at the, at the centre of a lot of that stuff that was happening when, when uh, Rangers, uh, you know, when Charles Green took over mm. Rangers and they, they, they did the transfer and membership and things like that. And, and you were very much held up as a champion of sport and integrity because that's what our blog was supposed to be about, you know, mm. sport and integrity. Should they have been forced to uh, to reapply for league membership? Should they have been in the queue with uh, the, the Cove Rangers and, and, and people like that? Well, they, they, if, you were, if you were being absolutely, uh, you know, following the rules, the answer was yes. But, the authorities took a degree of pragmatism because if if there was a vacancy in the league, they would up, they would ask for applications. So we, we assume, let's for argument's sake, assume that Rangers would apply, Cove Rangers would apply, uh, Spartans would apply, and, I don't know, Galafiridine would apply. So they would have to do written submissions, uh, the stadium, blah, 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 their set-up, where the train and what have you a deputation would go and inspect the ground and what have you they would then come back and report the details of that report would be sent around all the clubs and then all the clubs would have to vote for who was going to come into the league now I would have thought that having done all that that the best stadium for a, a, a club coming into the league was Ibrox the best training facilities were Murray Park. The best setup was was Rangers. So why the hell go to all that bother on a meaningless exercise? So a degree of pragmatism said, right, you know, they come back in, yeah. and, and I, you know, people can argue the, the the kind of semantics, and and you see it kind of week in week out. There are intelligent people out there who are arguing for you know titles to be stripped and this to be done and that to be done it's not going to happen that's in the past we've got to draw a line and move on and and if if people say well things were wrong then or or there was an unfair advantage given here or or whatever you've got to say yeah there there probably was but we're never going to move the, the, the whole game forward if we're, if we're going to go back into the mists of time to try and right wrongs as people perceive them. Yeah. It's almost as though there's a, there's a line drawn in the sand. You could, you could have all the parties that were involved 
come forward after a meeting and say, you know, there were mistakes made. There were, you know, there were genuine mistakes. There were good reasons for doing this. There were good reasons for doing that. It wasn't perfect. But we've got a, a national game here and we've got an opportunity. Yeah. And let's draw a line and let's let's kind of go forward from there. You think slightly that that, that sort of thing could happen? Because uh, the reason I ask is because I do think there's a, there's a lot of bitterness about the Rangers situation and and I think it's difficult to go away when there are so you know there's entrenched positions in the Rangers fans mm-hmm. side and there's a, you know a diametrically opposed similarly entrenched position from almost everybody else no I think I think you're right I mean I think I think that that what's happened has polarized views uh, I mean there was always an intense rivalry and not all, all of it was football. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. But that, you know, there were there were footballing occasions and and tragedies that came out of players dying and and what have you. And you always got the impression there was a, a hell of a lot a lot of respect between the the players and the management at the clubs. There could be wild passions at, at games and what have you. But the, what's happened with the Rangers situation and where they've finished up and what they're having to do has, there's a, a, a tendency for a kind of siege mentality with a number of fans. And on the other side, there's a, there's a temptation with the fans to rub their noses in it. Yeah. And I've heard that, that probably relations are, are worse now than they the, the were prior. I think it's a yeah, it's a fair assessment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I don't know how you how you, you sort that, but the the point is that that we can't turn the clock back. If we are where we are just now, then there's got to be some opportunity for some well-meaning get-together. I mean, you know, it's, truth it's and reconciliation. Truth and reconciliation. Yeah. I mean, I, I I talked about that kind of a couple of years ago, and I'm sure I got laughed at. Mind you, got laughed at sporting integrity, so you can, you know, you take it on the chin. But, you know, it's now with the wit of man to say, right, you know, that's in the past, here's where we are, certain things happen, but, you know, we'll have to move on. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, it's it's not about the past and arguing the past, it's about, you know, the future. And what about the future? Are you optimistic? Obviously, you're, you're a fan of the new setup or, or a fan of the direction that it's going in. Yeah, I think the, the, I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, and you know there there will be issues and and ongoing disputes and what have you, but the base is better than the, the than what it was, and you have to be optimistic. There's a there's there's governance in place, and there's opportunities to, you know, change your representation and vote on things, and there's regular meetings and so on, and there's nobody. There's nobody trying to do a bad job. And anybody I've spoken to, they are all personable. I've had I've had online dust ups or on air dust ups with various people in the past. They're all behind us. I mean there's no baggage anywhere. I think the thing can move forward. I'm, I have to be an optimist. At my age you've got to be an optimist. Turnbull Hutton, thanks very much for speaking to us. Okay. Thank you. You're listening to the Scottish Football Monitor Podcast. Please visit us at www.tsfm.net where you can participate in our discussion and have access to tons of extra material. You can also subscribe to this podcast there or just search for TSFM on the iTunes store.